The last one's at the bar. Exclusively talks about the sport of boxing. All right, so welcome to Last Ones at the Bar. We're starting a little bit early again this week. Um, I'm joined today by Daniel Lee, our boy Lavelle Jackson. He'll be out, and you know you can catch Lavelle next week uh, as we record and talk about the latest and greatest events that's happened in the world of boxing. Danny, how you doing, my guy? What's good, brother? I'm feeling good, dog. Um, this was the week I finally got back on my workout routine, like that it was how it was before I moved and everything. So I got some sparring rounds in. So I got like six one and a half minute rounds. I just want to remind the people, like, cause we we sit here and talk about boxing every week, talk about what people you know could do better, or whatever. It's really hard to fight <laughs> another grown man. You feel me? Like, like I said, I only did six one and a half minute rounds, and just like the sheer act of hitting and, and trying not to get hit, bro, uh, doozy. And it's one of the things. It's like it's hard to start back up once you stop. You know what I mean? So, uh, so I'm sore right now, but I'm feeling good that I'm at least back into it. And I know my body's going to do once I'm like really, really back in the swing of things. But, you know, complaints, yeah. dog. Yeah, did you, uh, did you do that before or after you was working the legs? You told me offline that you, was, you did a nice leg workout. Was that before or after that? Definitely before. <laughs> I knew what it was. So, so what I did, I, I sparred Thursday. Uh, hit the leg day, like the weights Friday, and then I hit the bag on Saturday. So today is going to be my yoga day. So um, so that's the way I set it up. And then tomorrow is rest. That's what's up, man. Did you uh, you do anything else this weekend? Um, We went out. What's crazy, we, we planned out to go uh, to hit this spot at the beach, like out near the ocean front. But it was because it was a beautiful day outside. So literally, we like halfway to the beach and it started raining. And we like, you know, what I mean, it it was nowhere on the on the on the app or anything. And so we're like, no, nah, it'll be fine. So we get to the beach. It's like a country music fest going on apparently. So we couldn't even park. And so we basically ended up just going to a place that wasn't even on the beach. And then we just came back and watched TV, ate and watched TV. So a quick question about that, like the beaches and everything down there, because I know up here in the DMV area. That's one thing that's a deterrent on living here is the fact that a lot of places they charge, you know, umpteen prices for parking. Is that the case down that way? The parking itself isn't crazy, like price wise. It's just finding it because like there aren't there are some garages, but, you know, like it's not a ton that is near the stuff that the non-tourists go to. You feel me? And yeah. so there's like, and that's for like the oceanfront part of it, which is like where the tourists go. If you go to like some of the ones that's more residential, um, there is no charge for parking, but then you got to find it because it's not made for, you know, for parking is made for, for living. You know what I mean? So, uh, but that said, I've always ended up finding parking. It just, you just kind of got to wait it out a little bit. Gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, man. You know, it was, my weekend was 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 hectic. It's kind of wild. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, some things I, I can't care to share on air. <laughs> you know, all in all, I had a good week weekend. Um, yesterday, I had a time, had a chance to get a little beach time because uh, it was the opposite here. What happened is it, the forecast was it was supposed to rain definitely Friday, Saturday, a little bit of Sunday, 
But then yesterday out the blue, it was just hot and it wasn't any rain. And so, you know, the, the time that I went up there, I was thinking I was going to be up there for maybe 30 minutes before it rained, but then it just stayed sunny and nice. So I was able to get about two hours up there um, at the pool. You know what I'm saying? So that was cool. But outside of that, man, like I said, I can't really share it. You know, that it's kind of wild. That, you know understood. Understood. <laughs> All right. Now, um, again, every week leading up to the Spence fight, you know, we're going to have a question of the week regarding that that matchup, that blockbuster matchup. The crazy thing is, let's just say the crazy thing is, what I'm trying to avoid is things that are obvious, right? So with this question, um, what I want you to think about, right? Like just overall. So my question of the week is going to be this. Overall, who do you think between these two combatants is the more skilled overall fighter? That's a tough one, man, because, like, it's almost like Bud has more more of, a, like, a variety of things that he can do, whereas Spence has the things that he can do, and he does it very well. And another thing about Spence is, he, after some of his fights, he said that I haven't even had to use my whole bag yet. Like I'm paraphrasing, but like there are certain things he just doesn't have to do against a lot of his opponents because he does the things that he does so well and they're effective. You know, like I believe that he could have stopped Danny Garcia. He didn't have to. What he was doing was fine. He was he was cool beating him down. You know, um, so in that sense, I, I think that I would probably give. Because of what we've seen and what we haven't seen yet and what could potentially be there, I would actually give Spence like a slight edge in this category. Because he's just so solid in what he does, you know? Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to win. You yeah. Know? Because cause of the fact that you look at it like this, right? Like some guys can... Let's like basketball, right? Like if you look at Larry Bird back in the day, you might have guys like if you just put check everything off, like they, you know, athleticism, this, that, ball handling, this, you know what I mean? But they can't ball like Larry Bird. You understand what I'm saying? Or they can't beat him. Mm -hmm. And so I look at it like this because Bud, where Bud really has the upper hand is gonna be the intangibles. Like yep. certain things that are not necessarily you can't really say, okay, that's just this type of skill. It's just things like instincts, reflexes, you know what I mean? Um, and so it's difficult to say. But I, I think if you just check every box, I think that you will have Spence winning in more categories when it comes to the skills. And like you say, just slightly, I would favor him. But then you have to factor in that intangible thing as well. And that definitely goes in the favor of Bud in my eyes. But... Overall, who has the more skills, I would have to go with Errol Spence. And a couple of reasons why is the fact that, you know, some of that body work, you know what I mean? You think about it back in the day, you know, you got to figure where you got that from. <laughs> we used to work together, you know, back in, in Dallas, right? So you see, you know, and all. really I'm saying all that to say, you're welcome, champ. <laughs> All right, now, you know what I'm saying? Like we said, we, you know, he's going to be smoking on that bug pack on the 29th. You know what I'm saying? And uh, those are the lyrics right there. You know, see, Danny, that flow, that's going to uh, make Terrence Bud Crawford 
fans go wacko. You know what I'm saying? And again, that's that. But that's a good conversation. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Um, as always. Hey, real quick, last thing I'll say. Um mm-hmm. to your point about Bud, when we say skills, like we're talking about like we, we talk about checking boxes, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, those boxes that you see and can check, Spence has those, but the stuff that Bud has you can't teach. You know, like there's not a box to check off because you don't really see it. You can't really coach it. Somebody just has it. And all you can do is like as a coach, you can maybe augment it, but it can't be taught. And Bud has those things, you know, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have more conversations about, you know, each of these categories moving forward. But we only got, what, like four weeks? Mm-hmm. That's crazy that it's coming around that quickly. All right, Danny. So let's go ahead and get off into the recap. So um, yesterday you had, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty packed weekend of fights, or at least on Sunday or Saturday it was. I think as far as name recognition, the biggest fight that took place was the Edgar Berlinga versus Jason Quigley fight. Berlinga, he won uh, unanimous decision, didn't get the knockout. But overall, what were your thoughts on Edgar's uh, performance? Um. I will. So first, I'll, I'll kind of go through kind of the notes I kind of took as I was watching the fight. Um, going into it, I thought that Berlanga moved a little bit better. Um, you know, before he would just kind of like plod and, and sort of like try to just throw the power shot. And when people wasn't bothered by the power shot or were ducking, it was like, why, why aren't they getting hit? And he would just kind of keep plodding and then accuse him of running after the fact. Um but I thought he did a good job of trying to use his jab as well. Um, but I also noticed that Quigley started to time it, and he would punch it between it, and that was being effective, and, and that would make Berlanga tentative. And that was, um, and earlier on at least, Quigley was kind of eating his hard shots, and that was kind of a trend for a good amount of the fight. Um, you know, around three, Quigley he was hard to touch, and Berlanga was having a hard time cutting off the ring. Um, but towards the end of the round, he got to him and he scored the knockdown, you know, but he didn't seem hurt. And in between rounds, they interviewed Quigley's trainer, Andy Lee, from a fighter himself. And he was happy with Quigley and said that they had several different game plans. And basically, like, Berlanga didn't. Um, so in round four, Berlanga jar- Berlanga's jab started to catch. Um, but Quigley, you know, continued to fight and... You know, I didn't like what I was hearing necessarily from Berlinga's corner. Um, he would just say, like, use your jab and work your way in. And it kind of, it kind of justified what Andy Lee was saying. Like, that was, that's kind of like, if it wasn't like, use your jab and work your way in, it was like him, his, his trainer cussing him out for not being as effective. And it's like, bro, give him something else to work with. That's what, that's kind of what I was getting from that. Um, round five, he, Berlinga scored a questionable knockdown. Uh, the ref explained it, but, you know, looking at the replay, and they don't do the replays in New York, but I would not have counted it as a, as a knockdown. Um, and that was huge because I actually gave round six through nine to Quigley. Uh, but really, six through ten pretty much came down to what you wanted to see. You know, Berlanga, he was throwing and landing most of the power shots. Um, Quigley, he was making a miss. And he was throwing and landing a jab, but he was fighting off his back foot more often. 
And, um, you know, Berlanga, he, he wanted to land that big shot. And whenever he thought he was hurting him, he would seem to, like, kind of sell out to throw that fight. I mean, to throw that overhand, overhand two. Um, and then quicker with time on then he would get tentative. That's just kind of what it was. Um, I didn't think Berlanga's footwork was great. And he would kind of throw those leaping shots every now and then, which Quigley could have taken advantage of but didn't. Um, I like to quickly use feints to keep Berlanga tentative. Um, but, you know, it was kind of close because of the knockdowns going into the going into the 12th. But, you know, Quigley, he kept getting walked down. And Berlanga, he threw a really good 3-2 combo and had Quigley down and he was seriously hurt. Uh, he got a second knockdown in that round. I think this went, well, I think it went him to fight when you see the scorecards. He, the fight was winning anyway. Um, but Quigley looked really good. Um, this was the best. Even though Berlanga didn't look like the way people expected him to look, I think that this was the best both fighters have looked in their career, for better or worse. Um, I think Berlanga looked worse because people were expecting so much from him in this fight. I personally scored it 113-111 in Berlanga's favor, but the judges had it, uh, two had a 116-108, and one had a 118-106, which is nuts to me. But again, you you know, it comes down to what you wanted to see. Um, according to the copy box, uh, Berlanga landed 162 out of 487 thrown. He landed 63 jabs, 99 power shots. Quigley landed 109 out of 383 with 52 jabs and 57 power shots. Um, I don't know what the odds were going into this, but I don't understand why the commentators were saying there was this consensus that Berlanga was going to wash him in an early round. Um, I barely thought he was going to get the job done, uh, personally, like going into this fight. Um, especially one, because of the layoff, and two, because Quigley, you know, he's battle tested and he, he's not an easy opponent. Um, but, and, and he was bought in to do, for Berlanga to do what, Andre did that time, but Berlanga doesn't have Andre's skill set. Um, but anyway, I, I like that Berlanga was at least honest about his performance this time around. He gave himself a C. You know, he's back with his old trainer, and he was saying he had to get that killer instinct back. And, you know, I'm not going to say getting back with his trainer was a mistake or anything, but I just wasn't, and I don't know what goes on in camp, but I wasn't hearing a whole lot of him like in, in terms, I was hearing a lot from him, like in terms of like the noise and whatever, you know, him talking, but I didn't hear him saying a lot of things that was really helping him. It's just that the one thing, one or two things that Belanga was doing happened to work. Um, so he said he wanted to fight the best. He called out Triple G and Munguia, uh, which in theory could happen. We don't know what Triple G is going to do because, you know, he's only had one fight at Super Middle. And he vacated both of his belts at middleweight. And he's, I think, 42, 43 at this point. Uh, Munguia could happen. And it's really the best fight for both of them. Um, especially with Canelo not being... Uh, not that Canelo would have fought him anyway. But Canelo being on PBC uh, at least through 2024. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Because, you know, Hearn and De La Hoya been going at it. Um... And it's like, these are the people, these are the fighters that you have. You're on the same network, and it's like, you know, like, you don't have anyone else from Mangia. You don't have anyone else from Belanga. 
Uh, so you might as well. But um, that's all I have. Uh, what do you think, Will? Yeah, it's a, a really good breakdown um, of what, what transpired yesterday. You know, the things that I noticed outside of what you mentioned is Berlin guy, just, I think that, you know, he has to continue to hone his skills because of the fact that, um, not, you know, he, obviously you just want to do that just in general. But at the same time, he isn't that power puncher. You know what I'm saying? Like once he starts fighting world-class guys, guys who have experience, they know how to handle him. And it surprised me yesterday that his opponent, um, Quigley, was so um, comfortable exchanging with him. You know, as a matter of fact, I never seen Quigley as like a power puncher, but he was trying to, you know, time uh, Berlinga for, you know, big shots and things of that nature. And only time he looked like he was kind of weary of Berlinga is when he got hurt. But outside of that, he was right there, you know, in the pocket, you know, throwing bombs back at Berlinga. Um, Berlinga is just a much faster, quicker, you know, fighter, especially at this stage of, of Quigley's career. Um, but, you know, all in all, I think it was a good win, especially after such a long layoff, getting back with his trainer, um, and they can build from here. But now, if he's talking about the guys that he's mentioning, like I said, I think that he, he when, when Canelo decided to go with the PBC, he was the biggest loser because what I thought that Matchroom could have did was they could got him maybe another Quigley or two until they landed the blockbuster fight against Canelo. But now he's going to be at the face of Munguia or I would be licking my chops if I was Triple G because this would be an easy win um, to me and he can make you know some pretty good dollars. I would go straight to New York, fight him at the Barclays, Madison Square Garden, wherever it is he wants. You understand what I'm saying? And go ahead and get that money because uh, I think he certainly will 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 be Berlin. If I was Munguia, that's a, that's a fight for me as well. So, um, like I said, I just think he lost because not that he was going to beat Canelo or even been have been competitive, but he was going to get that paycheck. And now it seems like he's going to end up losing to somebody for a lesser amount of money. Um, let me go ahead and take a look. I see my boy Ty. He said that he's on the road. Salute, salute to you. I know Ty on his channel, they covered that. You know what I mean? If you want to go ahead and take a look at that, you know, they always do a good job with that. Um, appreciate you being tuned in, Ty. All right. So you also have some other fights. So let's see what else transpired. Anything else about Berlinga? What, what do, you, who, do you think that he um, – Who would you favor him against any of those guys or any of those guys' 50-50 fights um, that he's calling out? I don't favor him against uh, Triple G for sure. Um, Munguia is probably as close to a 50-50 fight as it gets for, for them. But I think it's like the best case scenario for both of them at this point in their careers. Because they both vulnerable. need... What's up? Vulnerable. Right. They're both vulnerable. But they also need to step up because their fans are getting to the point where they're either starting to complain about their performances or their competition. And they, they need somebody. They need one of their, their names. You know, somebody's old going to have to go. And there's nobody else for them over there. Like, even with them trying to potentially set up uh, Magia against uh, Shane Mosley Jr. You know, if you lose to a Shane Mosley Jr., that is a low risk. Uh, that, that's a high risk, low reward fight. You know what I mean? Um, 
And so I don't like that fight for I, I love the fight for Shane Mosley Jr., but he could potentially beat both of those guys. And so both of those guys are the best for each other right now. And it, they're, they're on the same network, and they might as well just do it. You know what I mean? What do you think, though? No. I, 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 McGee is vulnerable, but I think against somebody like Berlinga, he, he would whitewash Berlinga. Because I think he's just – for to me, I think he's more offensively talented than McGee. He can do a few things where he can catch you with things that you may not be able to see because he does have talent offensively. His thing is always, to me, is I'm like – Dang, man, your defense sometimes is just so poor. Right. But I think he can take a good shot. I'm not sure. I think he would be able to take Berlinga's punches better than Berlinga would be able to take his punches. You know, I'll, and fought the stiffer opposition. I don't think Berlinga can beat Darian Chinko. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, you got anything else on that? Uh, I don't. Uh, Vail is actually tapped in. He said Berlinga Munguia is a 50 50. If, if if we had to predict that though, I, I would definitely predict it in McGee's favor, probably by decision. But uh, of those fights, I think that's the one to be made at this point because you know Canelo, Charlo, these guys, these these, these guys been you know calling for clearly not walking through that door. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, 50 50 is kind of pushing it. You know what I'm saying for old Berlinga. Like I say, he just. I don't know. I, I can see, you know, like like I said, he's very charismatic. Um, he has a nice following out there in New York. Um, Magia has his solid following and, and whatnot. But I've seen Magia beat world-class guys. You know what I'm saying? At least he's been there with the Gabe Rosados. He's been in there with the Ali's and, you know, people of that nature. I know it's been a long time, the Torino Johnsons and stuff like that. I haven't seen um Berlinga fight anybody like that and I've seen him stop some of those guys and Berlinga he can't stop anybody right now that is a veteran you understand what I'm saying so I, I can't see that being a 50-50 fight real also, quick yes sir last thing I share uh and, and I agree with it um shout out the uh, chicken talk you know uh we we subscribe to each other's channels you know but he said on on Twitter he was like if top rank if top rank lets a Puerto Rican go he ain't good. They suck up with Fidejo until the murder case after numerous losses. They didn't even put up a fight for Berlanga. That's a red flag to anybody who understands boxing. And and I agree, you know. Um, so I'd be interested to see what Eddie Hearn's vision is going to be for him moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then once again, Todd chopping, I mean, uh, tapping in, he says, I missed this fight since I was covering Adamus and J-Rod, but I did watch the Kawanaki, uh, him getting stopped. It's time for him to hang up. That's four fights he lost in a row. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. It's time for you to go ahead and hang on. He's going to end up having some brain damage or something like that if he doesn't. All right, let's go ahead and uh, move on to the other fight. Yes, sir. Um, so moving on to the Showtime channel, I was more so on – I was the reverse of Ty. I was more so on the, the zone card, and I know you were more so on the Showtime card. So we'll go into that. Uh, we had the, I believe, the interim middleweight. No, I think he's a full champ. Uh, Carlos Adamas, he fought uh, Julian J. Rock Williams out of Philly. Um, but the fight, the fight was in Minneapolis. Um, how did you see that going? Oh, uh, man, that was a good fight right there. It was much more, um, not necessarily competitive. What I noticed is that J. Rock seemed a little bit more 
durable um, in this fight. So as I watched, because again, I was going in between both. Carlos Adamas, he switched hits. So he came out, um, I want to say he came out orthodox. Whichever uh, side he was fighting on, he fought in on that side for about maybe four, first four rounds, where they say that he switches up much more. But he was landing some really nice body shots. The fourth round, he ended up stunning Julian. Like He really had him in some serious trouble. Um, but he was landing some thudding body shots, putting in work. Julian had his moments because I think Julian might have stunned him in the third round, I believe it was. But the guys was going, they, they were going back and forth early. And then I believe Adama switched to the right for about three or four rounds or so. And he was having some su success there. It's, you know, you look at, at the guys in the fight, Julian showed how much of a veteran that he is, the, the technique that he has, how sound he is. And then um, Adamus is just more, once he starts firing those shots, he throws those nice, heavy combinations. And um, like I said, it just surprised me that Julian was able to withstand the punches. Like a couple times he was hurt, he was visibly shaken. But um, like he was doing a really good job of, you know, just being a, a consummate professional, staying in there and then landing his own shots and, you know, getting out of trouble. Um, in the fight, you had... Um, as far as the punch stats, you had it was 160 uh, total landed for Adamas. You had uh, Julian landing 122. Both of them landed at a 35% rate. Um, you see the jabs there, and then the power shots where Julian landed. Like I say, he was in there. The fight, and I haven't gotten to the stoppage yet, but um, prior to the stoppage, what you could see is um, obviously Adamas he hits harder. You know, he's a much stronger, powerful puncher. But like I said, J-Rock, he showed me something, man. Um, like I say with this ability that I think maybe he was sucking down to 154 a little bit too much. I think this fight was at 160. And so he looked much more sturdy. Um, so the ninth round comes around. Adamas kind of shook Williams up a little bit, you know, uh, early in the round. It wasn't to the point where he was on the verge of getting knocked down or anything like that. But I'm thinking, like, in the referee eyes, the total amount of damage that he took throughout the fight um, is one of the reasons why he decided to call a halt to the fight. Now, I think it was a little bit early, a lot early, but I don't see where Williams was going to have an opportunity to win the fight. I think the referee, he jumped in there a little bit too early, um, especially for a guy uh, in Williams who needed this fight. You know what I'm saying? He's going to have to go way back, you know, into the back of the line, especially at 160, you know, after a loss like this. But again, the silver lining is that he looked pretty good, you know, because a lot of people saying that this, we got to, he better start writing his wheel, you know, going against a power puncher like Adamas. But I think he, he showed a very good account of himself in this fight. And then Adamas, on the other hand, it's looking like it's going to be him and Lubin. I think that um, if those two guys go at it, I would favor Adamus. But against other guys who are legitimate 160-pound fighters who can take his punches, not afraid of the stuff that's going to come at him like Williams was yesterday, I can see him having some issues um, eventually because he, he's not that hard to hit. But, again, a win is a win. Did you have anything on that, uh, Danny? 
I didn't have a ton, but I, I will kind of piggyback and more so echo. But I, I did think that this was a good showing for J-Rock. Um, yeah, it's, it's very possible that he, he wasn't, he was just too small or too big for 154. Um, he looked a lot more durable, um, looked less chinny, and I, I thought he made a name for himself at 160 specifically. I think the rumors of you know his demise have been greatly exaggerated. Um, I like—I don't know if this is his first fight back with Breadman, um, but I like what Breadman has, you know, what what they've been able to do together. And I think he still got some left in the tank for sure. Um, I also thought that the stoppage was early, um, you know, just from the you know the highlights I saw and from the commentary on Twitter. Some people had it even. And thought the championship rounds were going to decide what was going to happen. Whether it was going to be a stoppage anyway. Or whether J-Rock was going to kind of, you know, come back and take him into deeper waters. You said he was, he was following us on social media? I was following on social media, yeah. And then I saw the highlights after the fact. No, what I'm saying is, was that J-Rock uh, family who was tweeting that out? Well, he definitely wasn't, you know, he's down like at least three, maybe four rounds. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. getting rocked. You know, but again, like you say, you showed a good comment. So I, I don't mean to cut you off. You know what I'm saying, but. No, you're right. But that, that, that's all I had. And um, I'd be interested, though, to see where they go from here. I'm looking at the at the rankings now. And he is, Adamus is the interim WBC titleist. As we know, uh, Charlo is the full champ. So we'll see what happens, you know, in terms of what Charlo us anticipating he accepts the Canelo offer and that goes to what WBC is going to do, whether they're going to elevate Adamas to full champ or what. But is there anything you want to see more from Adamas or, or do, you, do you have any thoughts on where you think either fighter goes from here? Yeah, it's looking like a collision course between him and Lubin. That's what it looks like. If they don't make that fight and Vail says he was rooting for J-Rock, but he doesn't like the idea of Adamas and Lubin, I w- I'm interested to know why he doesn't like the idea of that fight. But and I don't like it for Lubin. I think you know, and we, I'll get to that after we, we we touch on his performance yesterday um, against Arias. You know, he looked good yesterday, but I wouldn't mind seeing Adamus against um, Lara. Like that would be a good fight. I think that's a good fight for Lara because mm-hmm. of the fact that he's he's a real good technician. Looks he looks solid at one sixty as well. I'm not so certain about. You know, any of the other 160 pounders, that's a little skimpy, you know, nowadays as far as the talent level there. Um, but, you know, like I said, win is a win, though, baby. You know, you got to gotta win in the win column. I thought for sure that once he started touching J-Rock, J-Rock was just going to crumble. But like I say, he J-Rock took some nice shots yesterday and didn't look like he was bothered as much as I thought he, that he would. So shout out to him as well. Not that you 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 saying that <laughs> – Oh man, he can take a shot. So he, you know, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying like, cause that was always the question mark when he gets tapped. You know, a lot of times, especially at 154, you'll see him either get hurt or get dropped or you know, put put out. You know, saying in some cases. So, you know, shout out to both guys, man. You know, that was a good scrap yesterday. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is, um, I I know Lubin. It it seems to be coming more so from Lubin. Then you know Adamas camp, Adamas's camp. You know, wanting that that fight. Um, I don't like the fight for Lubin either. Um, mostly, he hasn't done anything at 160 
to to warrant that fight, you know. Um, Lubin also, we'll talk about this later, but Lubin also wanted, uh, he mentioned Brian Mendoza. I think that if anything, that might make more sense um, because at least you have a guy that's in your weight class versus you moving up and fighting an interim champ. I, you're just coming off a loss, Lubin. Um, it's like, I, I don't like that fight for him. I think that he should fight Mendoza if anybody. Um, I agree. I like the... Uh, Adamas versus the winner of Lara and Garcia. I would not like that fight for Danny Garcia if Garcia wins, but the idea of him fighting the winner makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Lubin is is what they call like an old school type dude. Like he just, and he's real ambitious. He got that Teofimo Lopez syndrome, you know what I'm saying? A little delusional. You understand what I'm saying? But that's what makes you either it's gonna make you a breaking. And he's a really good fighter. I just don't like Lubin. Lubin is he has a little bit of that J-Rock in him too. He, you know, he he and who he also has a little uh Tony Harrison, I should say. Like he kind of fades a little bit mm-hmm. towards the end of fights. And and then that's when to me his chin is a little bit more susceptible. And that's when he gets more in trouble. I can see him getting into trouble against somebody who's powerful. If you put him in, in there with somebody who can't crack that well um, and, and, and kind of basic, I can see him, it just depending on the matchups or somebody who's slower. You know what I'm saying? You put him in with, with one of those guys. But the only problem is you put him in there with a Mendoza. Mendoza is like the little engine that could. And so if you don't get him out of there, He's still trying to set you up with something. And then as soon as you start getting tired, then he might end up catching you with something. And that's where I see the problem for Lubin, if there ever is a problem against Mendoza. Because he could conceivably get him out of there, because Lubin can't crack. Yeah. But it's a good matchup. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And um, I, I do think, though, for as long as it lasts, that it would be a good fight. But Lubin's also in a place where you have Mendoza, who is now the interim or at least the mandatory because he took that from Fandora. Um, and Lubin's in a place where it's like, is he elite? Is he not? Because he keeps calling for the elite. And then when he steps up, he, he loses to the elite. You know what I mean? And so he's in a, he's in a weird spot right now. Yeah, let's, let me hit that. Hit that. Uh... No, my, my guy again. He said, I agree with Vail. If Adamas and Lubin fight, I see Adamas going to stop his Lubin is a good fighter, but not the best chin against the power guys. That's how it's been so far. You know what I mean? I don't see a change in facing somebody like Adamas. But again, Adamas isn't hard to hit. You know what's tricky about that fight if they do fight? Is if they make it to the latter part of the fight. Because Adamas gets kind of tired too. Mm-hmm. You know, and Lubin, like I keep saying it, Lubin can crack. You know, so anyway, anywho, uh, Lubin, you know, he bounced back yesterday, fifth round stoppage against Lewis Arias. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that one right there? I don't have a ton here because I, you know, again, I was switching back and forth, but um, I, I did think that, you know, I, I just said what I said about him, Lubin, kind of like, you know, wanting the elite, but then when he steps up, you know, so on and so forth. But I thought that this was a fight where. Um, after I think it was a 14-month layoff, I thought that he showed his class. Um, I thought that, and I kind of figured it would be the case, but I, I thought he would be one step ahead of uh, of Arias. Um, I thought he was sharp. He did a good job of going to the body. And I think that 
um, you know, when he stopped the fight, when the fight was stopped uh, in the fifth round and, and he became the first fighter to stop Arias, uh, you know, the, the the stoppage, it was another one of those ones that was content, contentious. Um, the ref ca- had kind of a quick count. Arias thought he got hit behind the head, you know, with a rabbit punch. And he decided to start getting up at nine and the ref called it off. Um, which, you know, Arias didn't like, but Lubin was saying that, you know, even if the fight would have continued, he was going to wear him down even more and he was still going to go for it. And I do agree that Arias probably would have got stopped and taken even more damage. I just, um, I did agree that the ref counted a little fast there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a pretty, you know, for the five rounds that lasted, I thought it was pretty straightforward. Um, I thought that, uh, Arias tried to kind of, uh, bully him at roughhouse a little bit because he was just kind of he was like piercing with his shots like Lubin, Lubin was just like very sharp um in this fight um and I I think that you know for what it's worth you know you saw how his face looked after the Fedora fight and you talked about kind of like the delusion a little bit I don't think he lost any confidence after the Fedora fight uh which is great for him I do think he's still a player at 154 I don't know where he ranks in that because you still got, obviously, you got Charlo, you got Mendoza, you got Fundura, um, you have uh, Castaño. Uh, so I don't know if I even have him top five at 154, but I think he's still a player. You know what I mean? And he's still a young guy and he still believes in himself. You know what I mean? So uh, we'll see who he gets next. You know, we already talked about who he called out, so I won't belabor there, but I thought it was a good showing for the young fella. What'd you think? Yes, sir. And you see the punch stats right there where Lubin um, landed a total of seven th- 73 punches, pretty accurate, 39%, where Iris landed 42 of his 173 punches for a 24% clip. Um, the power shots, Arias actually threw more power shots than Lubin, but again, Lubin more accurate with the 46 landed, um, 44% clip, and Arias 30%. Um, the jab that wasn't really a big thing uh, yesterday, but you know, all in all, good work for the young man. Um, I root for him because I like his heart, his determination, and that you know he's a fighter's fighter, and he's going to be dangerous for anybody that he faces because he does have skills. I just wish that he would have taken his time. You know what I mean? You know, a lot of guys, you know, young fellas, they're so eager and they just want to go for the gusto and you know i'm good enough to go ahead and take on that guy i'm quick i'm fast but there's so many nuances to the game that you don't have just yet and you know you can kind of you know deter your career a little bit but if Lubin's able to win a fight or two against one of those upper echelon guys then all of those setbacks could really be beneficial to him um, but it's just going to be incumbent upon who he faces next because he's not shy away from taking any, like, tough challenge. You put, like, Godzilla out there. I could beat him. I could be like, mm-hmm. that's when he need, his team needs to come in and be like, let's go ahead. We're fighting world-class guys, you know, tough challenges. But at the same time, they don't have the certain attributes that you are very uh, vulnerable in, and that's punching power. And then we're going to build you up. And then we'll get, you know, one of those fights. He's one of those guys that needs that. He's still young, man. You know what I'm saying? But I look, you know, I root for the for the kid. Anything else you got on, on the old Erickson? 
no, just saying, wishing the best. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. Absolutely, man. Hit that like button, subscribe. You know, don't cap, hit that cash out. You understand me? <laughs> All right, so we got the predictions uh, for this week. Yes, sir. First off, we have uh, over in the UK, Franchon Cruz Desern. She's fighting uh, Savannah Marshall, uh, who happened to fail upward <laughs> after after the, losing the Caressa Shields. Uh, she's getting this opportunity to move up and wait and uh, and become undisputed champ at super middleweight. So she's fighting uh, Norfolk's own. I know she, you know, Cruz Desern. She she's in Baltimore now, I believe, or at least PG County, but. She was born in Norfolk, so I'm gonna say what it is. But uh, how do you see this playing out, Will? Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting one. I think that uh, in this fight, before I go over each fighter's uh, records and whatnot. So you got Savannah Marshall, 32 years of age. They call her the Silent Assassin, five eleven and a half, nearly six foot. Um, she has a record of twelve one and a very, very high KO ratio, especially for women uh, boxers. She's coming off the loss against Clarissa Shields. That fight was at 160, like you said. That was for all of the marbles in the middleweight division. And, and she's going up to 168, fighting for all of the marbles. The Clarissa Shields fight really wasn't that compet competitive. Um, she had a few moments here and there, maybe a round or two. But for the most part, Clarissa Shields just too skillful for her, too quick, um, too much know-how. and But she's the elite of the elite. And you see the other wins that she's had on, on her career. Not a lot of notable names on there. A lot of fighters who were had like long layoffs or a little bit longer than two. Um, but again, regardless of whoever she was fighting, she was getting some, um, some, some major league knockouts, you know, in those fights. Her opponent, uh, Franchon Cruz Desern, 8-1 with two KOs. She's 5'8", has a nice reach, 72 inches, you know. Um, low KO ratio, they call her the heavy-hitting heavy diva. You wouldn't gather that from the knockout ratio, um, but it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see how she matches up against the silent assassin, Savannah Marshall. Um, as far as Cruz Desern, She's coming off of winning the title against Ellen Sir Dern, Duros, Duros, I believe, in a 10-round unanimous decision. I was just check, checking that fight out. Uh, you were talking about the uh, Berlinga fight, and I was looking at the highlights of that, that match. Um, and that's pretty much – I've seen her, like, here and there in some other fights. Now, um, as far as my prediction for this fight, I think that it's just going to depend on because it, it could be a, a, a couple of ways as far as Marshall as she makes her foray into the 168 pound weight class. It could be a, a blessing because she doesn't have to drain herself um, and make that weight anymore. And so she could even pack more power. Um, she could be a little bit more quicker against the more lumbering opponents at 168. And that's what I think about Cruz Desarm when I see her. That's the biggest issue. She's kind of like a Burt Cooper type fighter where she kind of lumbers in a little bit, throwing those, those winging shots, but she's not that powerful. Now, her avenue to victory is if she kind of makes it ugly. Um, she kind of roughs Marshall up, 
she kind of gets in, inside where she smothers Marshall's work because if the fighter's on the outside, Marshall is going to just whoop on her all day. She's too long, too tall, too skillful. Um, but, you know, I know Cruz Azurin has some real dog in her just based on what I see, you know, with the fights that I saw. What I think is going to happen, I think that um, I, I definitely like Marshall. I definitely like Marshall. I, know, I, I believe she's going to win this. She's going to win the 168-pound championship, possibly setting up another a fight with Clarissa Shields. It's just a matter of how she's going to do it. Um, I think that what's going to happen is Desiree is going to come out pretty quickly. She might have some success early, but I think she's going to start getting tired. I think she's going to start getting tired early um, because of the adrenaline. It's a little bit of bad blood between the two ladies. And around a third round, I think that that's when Marshall is going to start to connect on her. I think that Maybe um, she survives the third, but I'm, I'm liking Marshall. I'm going to say a fourth or fifth round TKO victory over Cruz Desern. So, But I'll go, just to be safe, I'll say a fifth round TKO for Marshall. Okay. Um, yeah, man. Uh, it's a tough matchup for, for Cruz Desern, you know, to be honest with you, man. Uh Marshall, like you said, she's fought mostly at middleweight. She has a build like a super middleweight, though. You know, she's going to come in. She has a three-inch height advantage over Cruz Desern. Um, You know, you talked about a, the, the, the power punching ratio, the knockout ratio. She has a 77% ratio. Um, Cruz Desern is a bigger fighter who has fought as high as, you know, in the 170s. But Marshall, you know, you have to wonder, like, okay, is that – is that power going to carry up? And I'm inclined to think it will. That is a high knockout ratio. This is an unheard of knockout ratio for most women fighters because of the two-minute rounds. Um, another thing is, like, I, I don't want to get tricked by comparing this to the Shields fight because I don't think Cruz deserves moves as well as Shields does. Um, I think she's a good counterpuncher, but she doesn't move as well. And she's also a little bit older. Um and that fight was also, uh, the, the fight that you were talking about that she won was April of last year. So she's older, she's 36, and she's coming off of a 14-month layout layoff, which I don't think bulls well for her either. Um, I think Marshall's work rate is going to work in her favor, and even Shields has said that she can crack. Um, another thing is, this is also in Marshall's home country, and so, you know, Cruz Zern is going to have to work that much harder to keep her belts, you know what I mean? And so um, I think if Marshall uses her jab, it keeps her work rate up. I think that uh, she's going to be able to get Cruz Zern to respect her power early. I think I could see her stopping her as well, maybe late. I'm inclined to say decision. And um, I think I'm going to go with that. I think I'm going to go with the, uh, the decision just to, just to kind of play it safe. Uh, you have anything else on this one? Yeah, it's just uh, when I'm looking at the Zern, like she has her head like this, like she's coming in, she's throwing those punches. I know that she has a lot of heart, um, but heart can only take you so much when you're getting them bees, these those bees dropped on your head, your noggin. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm gonna I'm stick with it, but I'm, I think I'll go with a six round. I'm gonna put me on record for six rounds. Okay. All right, so we got that next week. 
also next week, you know, look at old Savannah, Silent Assassin Marshall. All right, you got your boy right there. You see the big baby. I think Bill, I don't know if he really consider him the big baby, the real big baby or not. I guess it's only one way to find out. Him and the other big baby got to go ahead and get it on. But before that, he has a tall task. He has the former IBF champion, Charles Martin. Uh, so Jared, big baby Anderson is going to be taking on him next week. Uh, who do you have in this one, Danny? Um, I, I'll kind of go through the tail of the tape first. Uh, you know, Anderson, 14-0, 14 knockouts, so 100% knockout ratio. Uh, he's 23 years old, so still a young pup, you know, uh, 6'4", 78-and-a-half-inch reach. He's a – I think he – box rate has him – yeah, has him as an orthodox, but he's a switch hitter, um, which you don't see very often in the heavyweight division. And he last uh, stopped George Arias uh, in the third round in April of this year. Uh, you got Charles Martin, Prince Charles Martin, I believe is what they call him. Uh, yep, and he is 29 and three with 26 knockouts, uh, but he's 37 years old, six five, so slight height advantage, 80 inch reach, so slight reach advantage. He's a southpaw, and he last got the knockout in the fourth round against Devin Vargas, uh, September of last year. It's worth noting that uh, Martin is a last minute replacement. Uh, his three losses came to Luis Ortiz. That was in early January. Adam Konoski and Anthony Joshua. Uh, so he lost against some, for the most part, quality opponents. Um, this is a step up to me over who Anderson was going to fight. Even though, you know, again, he's a last-minute replacement. And for what it's worth, Martin was supposed to have fought on the Garcia and Davis undercard, but his opponent got injured and had to withdraw. And so it's not like he's like completely out of shape, um, but he's also 37 years old. And my only real concern for Anderson in this fight is that it's a hometown fight. Uh, you know, this is his first time headlining. It's going to be in his hometown. And, and we saw last week with Progray, uh, sometimes you just get them whole, those hometown jitters. And a lot of fighters can attest to, you know, fighting in their hometown and, and, and having those jitters, you know. Um, now, Charles Martin, he's beaten some solid competition. You know, he's lost to better competition, you know, but he went the last match of note that he's had was that one against Ortiz, where he went the hell and back in that one. And it looked like he was going to win that one, but, um, you know, Ortiz got the job done. I'll be interested to see which stance uh, Anderson decides to primarily go with here. I could see him going southpaw with the southpaw and trying to beat him with the jab because I do think Anderson is going to have a speed advantage. He definitely has the age advantage. Um, and I think he's going to be the quicker fighter. He's going to have a lot more firepower. And I think he's going to use that to establish the shots that he really wants to get off. Um, the only question is going to be for him on top of the hometown jitters is how much better has his defense gotten? Because in his last few fights, we've seen him kind of go straight back and get caught. And sometimes he can do that and then he'll see red and then he'll end up kind of overwhelming his opponent and getting getting a stoppage, getting a knockout. Um, but obviously the ideal scenario for him is to not get caught and to get that head off center, uh, to move around to where angles to get those shots off. And so I think he's going to do that. Um, the defense part I don't know about, but I do think he's going to get his shots off, and I can see him stopping Martin 
fifth or sixth round, but I'm going to go fifth. What do you think? I'm a little worried for uh, little Big Baby, you know, because like you said, he gets, especially early, he's been susceptible in a lot of his fights. And it's like, as soon as he go ahead, he gets clipped. Then he just goes on this onslaught. And the fighters that he's been facing, they can't do anything about it. It's just like, you just start whitewashing them after that. I'm, I looked at the Charles, I revisited the Charles Martin Ortiz fight. Charles Martin, he kept clipping Ortiz with that left. It took a while for Ortiz to be able to make the adjustments. But keep in mind, Ortiz is a very uh, skilled fighter. He's a veteran. He's seen a lot of different tricks, had a, a nice amateur background. This is a, a, a tricky fight right here. Hopefully, for Jared's sake, he gets off to an early start and he just overwhelms Martin. Um, because he's always going to be in danger. Like, that's the one thing about Charles Martin is that left hand is potent, bro. Like, if he catches you with it, he's going to either drop, he's going to shake you up. This is the biggest, yeah. And, and sometimes when I look at Big Baby, he, he'll, he, he admires his work. It doesn't appear that way where he'll shoot a shot and he's open. And I just can see one of those left hands just clipping him. And that's, it's like, that's all she wrote. So I'm very, very, very um, concerned, you know, for him going into this fight. The other thing I'm concerned about is I know based on his interview, did you see the interview that he did with, I want to say, Fight Hub this past week? No. See, he's not fully invested in the boxing in terms of, like, he, it's not something he really loves to do. It's just something he said he's going to do um, in order to, you know, generate enough money you know, secure enough money so he can get out of here. He, it's like he's he not even trying to fight like three or four more years. He's totally like he he's unlike most boxers. Like you listen to him in his conversations. It's like he really doesn't care about boxing that much. That concerns me as well. Um, hey, he could be on that. You, 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 did you hear Jokic after he won the championship? He could be one of those type of guys, man. He could very well be. Only reason I'm saying that is in boxing, when the going gets tough, that'd be life or death sometimes. You know what I'm saying? You might get in one of those situations. I don't know how he's gonna be how he's gonna respond if he doesn't love the sport like that and he doesn't really truly have a passion for it like that. That's that, that that's the only reason I'm saying that. Um in this one, very skilled, highly skilled. He goes in there, he trains, you know, against guys like Fury. Fury um says that he, he's the goods. I'm gonna have to take him at his word is this the fights that he had previously i can't gauge that on how he's going to do against charles martin not that charles martin is like one of the best heavyweights in the world he just has some world-class things that he can do as far as like with the power you know everything else uh, would be in big baby's favor um i'm going to he's gonna if, if, if big, whoever wins gonna win my stoppage it's not gonna go the distance um, so I would lean more towards just based on Anderson with his youth, with the skills. Once he revs it up and picks up the pace, um, it might overwhelm Martin. And so I'm going to say I'll go six-round TKO, vic TKO victory for Jared Big Baby Anderson. But I think he's going to have to survive some shaky moments against the Prince. Anything else you got on that one? 
No, sir. No, I, I'm with you on the concerns. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, we'll see. I, I think that it seems like, and I have to go back and watch an interview, but it seems like he loves himself enough, you know what I mean, to want to protect himself. You know, mm-hmm. so, well, we'll see. We'll see. We don't know. There's a question that's going to have to be answered. Yeah, he's a headstrong kid. Um, I was going to say that um, what I don't like, I, don't, I, 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 I never like when you have a guy who you have a replacement, and the replacement is better than the guy you're supposed to fight in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they're different. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, for instance, I remember uh, Lennox Lewis. He was supposed to fight this one guy who was the number one contender. And then the guy got injured that June of that year. And so they brought in Vladimir Klitschko. And he went life and death. Now, that was going to be a tough fight anyway. But then you had that. You had Anthony Joshua in recent years where he was supposed to fight the other big baby. And then they ended up replacing him with Ruiz. And I'm like, man, like that's a totally different challenge. You don't have that much time to prepare for that. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see. If a kid is able to do away with Charles Martin, that's going to say a lot. You know what I mean? Yep. All right. So let's go ahead and, and, and make sure we do that. You know what I'm saying? Hit that like button. Now, if we still stuck on the same number of subscribers after I've been saying that, you know what I'm saying? I might have to go back in there. You know, the that shot that I showed you on the bag, I might have to go ahead and do that with one of these fools. Now, um, also, we also like to talk about our boxing news. Um, you had some doozies this past week. I think we're going to go ahead and start off with my main man, Canelo. Now, before you even talk about this, Daddy, he signed that three-fight deal with PBC. See, now that, that brings a smile to my face because I'm okay with Canelo if he didn't take the Benavidez fight because Canelo's about that bag. You understand what I'm saying? They saying, okay, we'll give you 50 million to do this. Well, sign me a like a lucrative deal where you know I get multiple fights and you can go ahead and increase that. And then at the end, I might be able to get the big fish. I might be able to, you know what I mean? But secure me a bag and then I might be able to get to one of those guys in your stable. But anyway, shout out to you, Canelo. I apologize for you know, even alluding to the fact that you might be a duck. But what what is your thoughts on a three-fight deal that Canelo signed with PBC? You know, um, I'm thinking of who, right? You know, because he has a lot of folks that he could fight in that stable. Um, They're saying that the first is going to be Charlo. Um, Presumably, he, one of them, it will make a ton of sense for one of them to be Benavidez. Um, part of me is like, I'm not sure why he wouldn't fight Benavidez ASAP because by the time he fights again, either way, he's going to be 33. Um, you know, so Tom is not on his side, but on the other hand, maybe he knows that Charlo fight has less marketability if he loses the Benavidez. So he's like, let's go ahead and cash that out right now. Get that out the way. You know, he's coming off a long layoff, you know, give him his first, you know, get rid of that O for him. And so maybe he could go Charlo Benavidez and then maybe like some sort of ride off into the sunset fight next September. Because I don't know if I see him fighting after this three fight deal. You know, he'll have, I believe, about 65, 66 professional fights under his belt after the three fight deal. And so I don't know if he'll have much else to fight for after that. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not mad at it. I understand it. You know, Matchroom couldn't deliver the fights that he wanted uh, through no fault of their own. And so this was the next best thing, I think. It just a curi- I'm just curious of how it's going to play out. You know what I mean? But what about you? What do you think? That's, that's the only thing is how it's going to play out. But it's, it's the Jay-Z line. You know what I'm saying? You know, David Benavidez, you're a businessman. But Canelo says, I'm a businessman. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like this right here is really, when you think of it, thinking of it like a boss, okay? Yeah, I can take the Benavidez fight. I could. But this right here really is more of, I'm just wearing my options over here. I don't, it ain't, it's not, I don't care who you put me in the ring with. I'm just, I'm looking at the financial side of it too. I want my bag, bro. So well, whoever can secure me with the biggest bag, it really doesn't even matter who the opponents are. But if I look from a boss stand, from a boss's standpoint, PBC would be more perfect for me. I can go ahead and get Charlo if he accepts. Okay. Um, I'm sure that it's other um, factors in this too, where that's going to be, let's say for instance, he gets 33.3 million each fight, but he also can make, you know, additional monies off of sales and tickets and all of that type of stuff too. Now you got, if you look over there, Benavidez is a fight that would generate a lot of revenue. But the big fight would be Spence because if you look at who's the top sellers in boxing, Spence would be one. Spence mentions Canelo quite often. Like, yeah, Canelo, he's the number one pound for pound because he the um, he gets the most money. And then he said that I'm probably next when it comes to like North American fighters and stuff like that. So if you put you merge those two and he's successful on July 29th against uh, Crawford, you talking some huge bread. And so that's what Canelo is in the business of. It's not any of that, oh, you need to fight him or you need to fight. I don't think he even cares about that type of stuff. That showed me that right there. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So for the screw what everybody else talking about, Canelo, you the number one pound for pound fighter. You the cash cow. Do your thing, bro. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to move on to the next topic in a second, unless you have something else on that, Danny. Uh, only other thing I want to say is uh, another thing he may be looking at is the stability of being with Showtime, the network, versus the stability of being with the Zone. You know, when he first got into business with Eddie Hearn, the Zone was on that. Yeah, we don't need pay per view just to get his monthly subscription. And then towards the end of his his time with them, the Zone was like, "Hold on, we need you to pay that pay per view fee as well on top of the subscription." You know what I mean? And so. Maybe there was some instability there. I think it just came down to who he could fight, but that may have been in the background as well. That's all I got. You got he. I think he's looking at who he can fight. So okay, I got my my um, guarantee, hundred million three fights. Who? So what else is gonna sweeten the pot? They got more people on their side that is gonna draw attention that we could. I could even make more money off of because. Mm-hmm. The zone, they don't really have that where it's going to draw that much as much interest. And so I think when you look at the deals that were was out there now at this particular stage, then that's the one that, you know, a, a boss is going to go ahead and accept. Now, let me go ahead and go into these comments because I've been neglecting them. You see how long it's been since I, I, I checked the comments. And so my guy Ty says, I'm hearing um, Brian Mendoza and Fandora could possibly have a rematch. 
I don't like that for Fundora, not right right out the gate. I, I never liked that. Not to say he couldn't win, but I think that you got to get a little bit more confidence before you go back into the ring against the guy that put you to sleep. Now Lubin looked like Martin after. <laughs> yeah, that's how he looked against Fundora, and that's how Crawford's going to look on the 30th. I see. So said, I'm going with for um, Anderson, but he was crazy. His crazy work rate keeps coming, but the best defense, but not the best defense. Martin is tall with a lot of power. I think Anderson win, but needs to be on his game with his defense. Hopefully so. Does he have enough time to really start preparing for that lefty? You understand what I'm saying? So that's going to be interesting to see, but only time is going to tell. And we'll see next week. Hopefully he not, you know, getting some, getting some Z's. Even though Anderson stopped Jerry Forrest, Forrest landed a huge shot that snapped Anderson's head back, and he's not the biggest puncher in the world. And so, again, that's that's our concern as well. But we'll see. Hopefully Big Baby is the goods. Moving on to the next topic, though, Danny. Bam. Oh, Bam. Bam Rodriguez, he's going to be facing Sonny Delight Edwards. Um, they signed a fight for the 112-pound unification uh, matchup. Or belts at uh, or for the during the wintertime. I want to say it's going to be December. Eddie Hearn said they're trying to secure a date. They should have some date coming up this week. Uh, what do you think about this fight, this unification matchup, then? Um, I like it for a few reasons. One, I think it's the best fight to be made at the current weight class that they're both at one twelve. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that they're waiting for the date because you know Bam broke his jaw in his last win back in April, so they're probably waiting till. There's more definitive news on his recovery. I also like it for what it could mean in the future. You know, we don't know how long Bam is going to stay at 112, but we do know that last year he was looking like he could potentially clean out 115. But when they kept asking him about unifying, they were throwing out Chocotito and Estrada. He was like, no, that's my brother's weight class. Um, his brother, I'll talk about it in a little bit, but his brother uh, is no longer going to be fighting. And so what this could set up, you have some dogs at 115. And so the winner of this could eventually move up and create some super fights at the 115-pound division. You know, uh, Nakatani, who vacated this belt to move up to 115, um, he's a killer. You know, he still has some of those, those established vets in there, um, obviously, that neither of those guys have fought. And so this fight makes the most sense for both fighters, and I like it for now and the future. What do you think? Yeah, I think you got, you know, one of the best fighters in the world, all around fighters in the world, and bam, going against probably the best defensive fighter in the 112 pound weight class. Now, I was interested to see myself, I'm like, why did bam, you know, leave 115 and drop down to 112 again when he was so successful at 115 and there are more notable names at 115? But then, you know, I was thinking, I said, well, maybe, bam, you know, move back down to 112 because that's where the players dwell. You understand me? But anyway. Um, well done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> bam. Uh, but this is going to be a good fight, man. I, I, I definitely favor Bam in this, this matchup. I looked at Sonny in his last fight about two weeks ago. And I thought the, the guy was giving him some work that he was facing. And I just was imagining, like, if that was Bam inside there pounding on him like that, um, would Sonny be able to make it all 12 against, you know, um, Bam Rodriguez? But it's going to be an interesting matchup. The best matchup that can be made at 112. 
should be a, a, a nice little challenge for Bam. And uh, yeah, that's what he went back there for is to collect those belts and become a unified champ, maybe possibly uh, even undisputed. But now I, I know you want to talk about it a little bit later, but um, what's the deal with his brother? Uh, yeah, I just I just talk about it now. So, um, you know, his brother, uh, Joshua Franco, he he fought. Uh, the, the name is escaping me right now, but he it was a rematch that he fought in Tokyo. It was uh, Ioka. Mm -hmm. um, so they fought in December. They fought to a draw. And then they fought this past weekend, but Franco came in six pounds overweight. Mm. And so he lost his, you know, obviously he wasn't going to get back down. So he lost the belt at the scale regardless. And so he loses the fight uh, by decision. And, and then he announces his retirement on social media. And so I won't read the whole thing, but I have it open. So I'll, I'll read, you know, kind of parts of it. He says, for the majority of my career, I've been going through a lot of mental problems that I was doing my best to control. I never talked about it publicly because I don't I didn't want anyone to think I ever made an excuse for anything. Um, but he battled through it. And um, he's want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you to my team, my mom, dad and brothers, everyone at RGBA. That's uh, Robert Garcia Boxing Academy for helping me believe for believing in me, helping me achieve my dreams. Um, I'll be forever grateful. And so he said his fight in Tokyo, Japan was his last fight. It was a tough week and he didn't get the result, but he will leave the sport knowing he gave it everything that he had. And so um, at 27, uh, it sounds like he's going to, you know, work on his, his mental and something else that allows him to, you know what I mean, take better care of himself. His record was 18-2-3 uh, and three with eight knockouts. And, um, you know, he, he was a champ before. And so, you know, salute to him. But I was bringing him up because, you know, again, when Bam was beating Quadris and so run was I, he wasn't, like, entertaining those other names because he was saying, that's my brother's weight class. But now, you know, that's not, you know, that's not something that he has to worry about, so to speak. Maybe that's not the best language for that. But what I'm saying is that could pave the way for him to move back up to 115. Yeah, that's what I was asking, you know, because it's definitely why he said that he, he moved down because he's, he wanted his brother to be able to have those opportunities and, and whatnot. Now it makes more sense why he was so overly supportive of his brother, you know, having an opportunity before him because he's looking out and he probably knew, obviously, he knew uh, some of the trials and tribulations that his brother was going through. So shout out to him. Shout out to his brother. You know, good luck. And, you know, you never know, you know, with a situation like that, if everything works itself out, we, we still may see him in the ring um, again. But when it's all sitting down, we just want what's in the best interest of um, Mr. Franco. All right. So let me go ahead and come out of here. Then let me hit this. And then lastly, um, it's looking like, Wilder, um, Deontay Wilder and Andy Ruiz, um, they're, they're possibly going to fight in August. And I want to say that's going to be Saudi Arabia if they do, right? Um, another thing that could possibly be in play. Now, I just heard Eddie Hearn today. He said that oh, Wilder and Joshua, they're fighting in December. Um, but in the past few days, also what I heard was 
they're possibly making a matchup between Anthony Joshua and Dillian White, a rematch between the two. That's back into play as well. Joshua is definitely fighting in August, according to Hearn, and it's looking like it's going to be Dillian White. What's your thoughts on if they do that sort of kind of little tournament between those four guys? I think it made the most sense for best fighter for both fighters for a few different reasons. Um, I'll say on Anthony Joshua's side, we were saying, you know, he's with the new camp with Derek James. And we were saying that after Jermaine Franklin, he needed another fight or two, you know, to get to a point where he could fight one of those top three guys. And this would be one of those fights. Like, for whatever reason, people want to see this fight. And so it's like, why not work on my skills? I don't think White has a shot, but it's like, why not work on my skills, especially if people at the domestic level, like out in the UK, want to see it again and White wants it so bad, this would be the fight to build up to the fight that everyone actually wants to see. You know, so it makes sense for AJ. Um, it makes sense for Wilder because uh, this was uh, mandated by the sanctioning body anyway. And the winner is supposed to, you know, it was mandated a while ago, but they just wasn't making it happen for whatever reason. The winner, this is supposed to set up the winner to uh, fight, in theory, I don't think it's going to happen, but in theory, fight Tyson Fury for his belt. Um, we don't know what Tyson Fury's future is going to be, if he's even going to keep the belt, if he's going to fight uh, Usyk or what. But if for whatever reason Fury vacates, uh, one of these guys could be become elevated to the full champion. Um, and so it just makes sense. And also for Wilder... Um, you know, if he were to fight Joshua, this keeps him active against a, a, a very solid opponent and not only a very solid one, but common opposition. Um, so if it happens, then I'm all here for it. And Ruiz, you know, I, I saw the video that he posted. Um, they seem to want to fight. He looks like he's in great shape and he's been training. And so um, I, I say let's do it. That's an oxymoron. Ruiz in great shape. You know what I'm saying? But I, I like it as well. Um, just from a stay busy, from a stay busy standpoint, only issue is both guys are, are kind of facing opponents that's not necessarily preparing them for the ultimate matchup that they'll be having in December. Um, but it will be two quality opponents that they're facing, and incrementally, it's, it's good for Joshua as far as his confidence. Now, I don't know, you know. I think they're dangerous fights for both guys because Dillian White, regardless of what, you know, if he's diminished or not, I'm sure he's a little diminished after like the Tyson Fury knockout, some of the other brutal um, shots that he's taken in the past, but he still can crack. And he's going to have an extra level of motivation facing AJ because he really doesn't like AJ. He thinks AJ is a phony, a fraud. Um, he, he's what he's portraying to the public that it's really not him. But AJ is also getting to get, getting to a point where he's starting to showcase more of who he actually is. The AJ that I saw a couple months ago against Franklin, if he's fighting like that, then White has a, a, a very um, high chance of defeating him. And then with Ruiz, Ruiz is, is I think it's kind of tailor-made for Wilder, but at the same time, you always have to be conscious and cognizant of those quick, heavy hands that he has. And Wilder will be facing the guy who is probably the fastest fighter that he's faced, you know, 
to this point. And so, like I said, and being so inactive, you know, as well. That it, and all it takes is one shot in the heavyweight division. And Ruiz is a very, very skilled guy. So it's it's they're good fights, especially for the fans. You know what I mean? Like, and just imagine, I don't know if they're talking about having this on the same card. Like, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be awesome. You know? But yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Anything else you have on that? Um, yeah, I just hope it happens because, you know, whether or not we realize that, I think I said it on a previous episode, but all of these heavyweight fighters that we've come to know over the past few years, they're in their mid 30s, mid to late 30s, you know. So this is we're not the heavyweight scene is going to look different, very different in like let's say like 2 2 to 4 years. It's going to look very different. So I'm all in favor of us getting as many fights as we can out of this era, you know. Uh, and with Water and Joshua, um, this is one that we've been wanting for a while. And so, uh, and it's one of those like better late than never fights too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what's crazy? You know, as we wrap this one up, and I think that this is a perfect segue too. And um, but with the addition of that, I do also want to say this. You know, shout out to Bo Mac. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> The chubby dude over there. I saw him in some interviews this past week. Let's, for no reason, just shout out to Bo Mac. You understand me? <laughs> getting back to uh, this this situation here, and this is the final thing that I'll, I'll end with this, and this is kind of a question to you, because I know for me, the real reason why this is important is because this will put a bow tie on such a competitive year in the sport of boxing with all of the big Fights like you know, we, we had in years past, like it's some times where it's like it's we've been arguing about certain fights that we want to see happen. Who's at fault? Why they not? Did this person duck that person? All that type. We had years of that, and then all of a sudden, everybody's just starting to fight each other. And it's like the all of the fights that we really want to see, even I mean, it's not like the greatest time for it in terms of where both guys are because Charlo has been on a long layoff, even that fight. Like, it was a time when we were like, man, we want to see Canelo fight Charlo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then this fight right here, if you have Joshua and Wilder, I don't, I can't remember a greater year, you know, in recent, especially in recent years. Oh, yeah. What do you say about that? No, I, I agree. Certainly, like, I've been following boxing since, like, 2010. If there has been a better year, it was before 2010. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Um and if you were to go back to our end of 22 episode and we named the fights we wanted to see, we're getting most, if not all of those fights. And in addition to that song, we didn't even know we wanted to see because we're getting, we're getting cool boy. And in a way, the week, the week of Crawford Spence, like, come on, man, you know, Super Bowl, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like an extravaganza. Like that's just like a jamboree of this. You can't get any better than that, though. Like the 25th and the 29th. Right. Oh, God. Yep. Um, uh, Ty just said, uh, you know, Andy Ruiz looks to be in awesome shape. Um, I hope it happens because we've only seen Wilder fight one round since last September. Uh, he thinks Wilder wins by, by knockout. And I, I, I think this is an important fight for Wilder because, like, even though he is who he is, to his point, he hasn't really had a fight of substance since Fury 3 and that was October of what 2021 
one the one round doesn't really do anything do much for him you know it gets it maybe gets some jitters out but it didn't it doesn't do as much in terms of ring activity um so yeah I, i'm excited though yeah wilder just I, I like my, my i like the champ you know what i'm saying a lot like, he's one of my favorite fighters and, and again to all of the fighters man you know it ain't even about win or lose a lot of times it's more so just the mentality that you want to go out there and face the best and that's the reason why you know i love deontay Wilder so much is that he just has that that lion mentality and he's like you know you got to kill him you know what i'm saying like he really stands on that type of stuff and you can tell that he means what he says you know that sort of thing he's like a man's man but i just want to say one thing if i can give you one bit of advice champ just make sure you get you a couple leg days in too. You understand me? We don't want you, you know, on them little little stilts that you be on. You understand me? So a lunge or something, a leg extension, Romanian deadlift, <laughs> something though. <laughs> something, you know what I'm saying? But he, he got that power though. That's for sure. Shout out to Mo Mac. I hit that like and subscribe button. On that note, man, Danny, you got anything else you want to say on the way out? Because I know you want to talk about Franco, but you already covered that. Yeah, happy happy trails to him. You know what I mean. Best best wishes and um, no, that's all I got. Appreciate you guys for tapping in with us. Yes, sir. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Um, in the future, Danny, I, I didn't say this, but I'm trying to put together a travel channel. Um, so be on the lookout for that in the near future. I got. I keep mentioning that I got a trip coming up to Brazil, but I got some stuff in the bag. I'm trying to order um, some cameras and things like that that I can take on this voyage and then get some footage from port um i'm sorry from brazil from rio and then also costa rica so again be on the lookout for that um everybody hopefully you have a good week um if you are in brazil i just want to say boa tarde you know have a great afternoon have a great evening and, and you know just enjoy your week on that note we out peace peace